Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who Many of us walk through life with low expectations of what God can do. What is causing us to aim so low? What perspective of God should we hold on to so that we aim higher? Join us now as we continue our journey through Acts chapter 25 and 26 with Cheryl Broderson. Cheryl's message, A Greater Expectation. The greatest threat to the Herodian dynasty was Jesus and the testimony of Jesus. Now, this is a great assembly that Paul is brought in before. And we find out about this great assembly in Acts chapter 26. We're told that Bernice, Herod's sister, with whom he had an incestuous relationship, Festus, this Roman governor, and prominent figures from Caesarea were all present in this huge auditorium. And Herod and Bernice had entered in with pomp, great pomp, as the notables of the day. Here comes a king into the midst of the auditorium. And they are honored and the the whole assembly rises until they take their seats. And, And there's performance and there's ritual. And they're seated, and the whole court is seated. And then they march this prisoner in, Paul, the prisoner, the one in chains. And yet, who? Who is seated? Who is there to give an audience to Paul? You see, the audience is not gathered for Herod or Bernice. The audience is not gathered for Festus. But this whole assembly of notables has all gathered to hear Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul sees the opportunity at this moment, in this time, to look at Herod in this great assembly and challenge him with the greatest question, the greatest challenge ever thrown before a king. He asks him in Acts 26, verse 8, why should it be thought incredible to you that God should raise the dead. Here is this Herod, the king, and Paul is saying, your aim is too low. Your expectations are too slight because if you don't believe in a resurrection from the dead, here's life as good as it's going to get. This is it. As Paul would say, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. If this is as good as it gets, and we have to deal with aging, and we have to deal with lines, not on our face, but you know, lines at markets too. All lines. We have to deal with lines all over the world and wherever they come. 
We have to deal with traffic. We have to deal with deficiencies. If this is as good, and you know, we have, in the United States, we have life better than just about every country in the world. We have the best of life. I mean, most countries, people don't own cars. And granted, most of you probably have two cars in your garage or driveway. And most people in the world don't even have a car. They don't know what it is to own their car. Let alone we have houses. We have running water. We have bottled water. We have bathtubs. We have luxury. And yet, I think you would say to me, if this is the best that we can expect out of life, and even when you do get a glorious moment, it passes. Just a few days ago, Brian and I went up to Santa Barbara for a getaway, and I was looking at the ocean, and I was like, I want to take you in. You know what I mean? You're looking at this beautiful scene going, I'm going to have to leave this scene. Tomorrow, I won't be looking at an ocean. And you're just like, how do I enjoy it any more than I I'm enjoying it right now. How do I take this with me? It's over. It's over. And those that have died, if this is all that it is, no hope that we will ever see those who have died, that they are gone out of our life forever. And this is it. We are of all men most miserable. And our expectations are so low. And our pursuits are so few and so small. But if we are dealing with a God that raises the dead, then everything becomes infused with glory and possibility. And our expectations begin to explode. There are no impossibilities with our God. Everything that is seen and unseen was made by the word of his mouth. We got word for about a friend of ours that we dearly love who has just been a powerhouse in England that the cancer has spread out of his bladder into his entire body. And Brian looked at me and he said, you know what? Even at this point, we still have hope. Not because of chemotherapy, not because of radiation, not because our expectation is on doctors, but because our expectation is upon God who raises the dead. So we continue to have hope, hope for this life and hope for the life to come because we serve the one who gives life to the dead. He not only created life, But God breathed into his creation. He gives his creation animation. Uh, Think about it. When Jesus was going into Jerusalem and these Sadducees, these Pharisees were saying, hey, stop the people from crying out these praises. And Jesus said to these men, if they would stop praising me, the very rocks would become animated. God would give animation to these rocks And they would begin to cry out because he is the God who raises the dead, because he is the God who gives life and breath to every living thing. This is the type of thing we should expect from our God. Are your expectations too low today? Have you been aiming so small? Have your pursuits been so slight because you forgot 
or you've been just blindsided by the things that are in this world that want to block your view, that want to keep you from seeing or knowing or experiencing the God who raises the dead. The only accusation that the governor, Festus, could ascertain against Paul was that he alleged that he affirmed that Jesus had died and was alive. This is, the, this is the accusation. This is why Paul was in prison. This is what he was mobbed for. This is what he was on trial for. This one hope, this one, this one thing that Paul would not budge on. Paul said, leave me in prison. Put me before whatever counsel you want, but I'm going to affirm to you that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead and the grave could not hold him. And I will stand on that premise and I will go through life and my expectations will be great because I know that God raised Jesus from the dead. It was this proclamation. It was this understanding. It was this word, this glorious revelation that caused Paul to aim higher, expect greater things, pursue eternal realities, and kept him from obsessing about the injustice of his trial, the notables of life, or his imprisonment. This is what the glory of Jesus' resurrection from the dead is to do for all of us. It is to cause us to aim higher, expect greater things, and pursue eternal realities. This is the effect that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead should have. This is the perspective that we need so desperately to grasp because without this perspective, we will be tripped up again and again by the little things. Our pursuits will be mundane We will never, ever grasp or understand what the scriptures are trying to tell us or the power of God that is available to us. And then we will be mistaken about everything. We will be left among the dying. We will be helpless against the circumstances of our lives. We will live as victims, 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 victims. We will be waiting on our mats for something to happen that will never happen. And we will be lame, never receiving from God the great things he wants to do. But Paul lived in the reality of a God who raises the dead. And I love the fact that Paul says, why should this be incredible? (laughs) This is an easy thing. This is not incredible for God. Paul lived in the realm where this, the resurrection of the dead, was not incredible. It was not something too far-fetched to believe. Why? Because Paul himself had experienced the power of God. He had met, seen, and heard the resurrected Jesus while he was on the road to Damascus. He had felt the transforming power in his own life. He had been dead in his trespasses and sins. He had been a blasphemer, zealous, hostile, volatile. And he had been transformed by the same power into a servant of Jesus, passionate for Jesus, loving, patient, and persevering. Paul also knew the scriptures. 
He not only knew the power of God, but he knew the scriptures. He knew that God throughout the Old Testament, through the patriarchs, through Moses, through the prophets, in the Psalms, had promised a Messiah. God had foretold that Jesus, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again. God had communicated this to the forefathers. He had communicated it through the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, through the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 47. He had given them these visual pictures of what he himself would do with his son. He had given these promises to the 12 tribes of Israel. He then had spoken by the prophets, by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, speaking of the Messiah and the resurrection from the dead. We're told in Daniel that the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. And yet he would be that rock coming from the mountain that would crush every other dynasty, every other government and then become a great mountain where all the world would worship. This understanding of the power of God and the promises of the scripture caused Paul to have higher plans. I love these higher plans because we see here in Acts chapter 25, Paul is done with dealing with these Sadducees. He's done in Israel. His work is over. For two years, he has lingered in prison. Before that, throughout his ministry, we see that he's always aiming to get back to Jerusalem. He wants to tell the people of God about their resurrected Messiah. And he has told them. And because of this, they feel that he is not fit to live. And after rehashing over and over again, after proclaiming his innocence, he says, I'm done. I am absolutely done Their accusations were false. They had no witnesses. There was no proof. These were the lesser things, the trivialities of life. And Paul says, I am done. I am done. I I love that saying, put a fork in me. I am done. I am done. Two years while Paul was in prison and chains, these men down in Jerusalem obsessed about Paul. It was not enough to have him chained. It was not enough to have him in the hands of the Gentiles. These men, they could not be reasoned with. They could not be persuaded or dissuaded. They remained on their mats, lame, frustrated, never being able to succeed. This is where they were. For two years, they hadn't changed. Two years. Um, We're told that these men would be satisfied with nothing less than Paul's death. Constantly, their minds were taken up with how they could plot and plan his demise. Acts 25 verse 3. Immediately when they heard that Festus was in Jerusalem, they sought him out to speak with him about dealing with Paul and eradicating Paul's life. They were still planning ambushes and their time was consumed with destruction, with with these little things. I mean, think about it. Here's this council, it's huge. Here's the elite of Jerusalem and they're obsessed with one man who's in chains. 
This one man, Paul, is the greatest threat to this Jerusalem council, and he's in prison, and he's being held by the Gentiles, and they still can't take it. Why? Because Paul spoke the words of truth and reason, because Paul believed in the hope of their fathers and the patriarchs, and they wanted to deafen their ears to the truth, and they had so hardened their hearts, and they thought if they could just get rid of Paul, all their problems would be over. Isn't that so like the world we live in today? You know, to so many political systems, it's Christians that are the problems. They blame us for everything, don't they? There's war, must be a Christian. You know, those gun-toting Christians. It's like, no, no, you got these problems because you got problems. Because you don't serve a resurrected Lord. They want our health, they want our happiness. Without our Savior, it's not gonna happen. And they, they think that if they just get rid of Christians, everything will be all right. No, because then they'll be left with themselves. That's what the tribulation is all about. They're left with themselves. Paul had higher aims. He is through defending himself. He's through. It's time to go to Rome. It's higher aims. It's moving on. Some of you have been going through things for two years. Or longer. You're dealing with people who and situations that will not change. They are what they are, what they are. These people have hardened their hearts and it's over. <laughs> it's time to aim higher. It's time to move on from Israel and to go to Rome. It's time to appeal to Caesar. It's just time. It's time. And that's what Paul's saying. It's time. I serve the resurrected Lord, and he says, it's time to go to Rome. And so Paul gives to Festus and Agrippa his going to Rome ticket, his voucher to go to Rome. It's time. Paul was through dealing with unreasonable men. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says... He asked the believers there to pray that he would be delivered from unreasonable men. And that's what he's doing right here. He's being delivered from unreasonable men. Time to move on to greater things. Next, Paul trusted in bigger promises. Bigger promises. You know, sometimes we just choose the little promises out of the Bible to believe. You know, we're like, well, this one's doable in my life. I can see that happening. We're supposed to claim the big promises. All these promises we're told in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God are in Christ and they are yes and so be it or let it be done. Amen means so let, let it be done. All the promises are in Christ. Big promises. Paul was claiming all those big promises promises. Not just the little ones. He was like going for all of it. You know, it's time to start claiming all the promises of God. All of them. Big, little, in between. All the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was claiming the promises of the patriarchs, these ancient promises. He was claiming these promises that were passed down from the patriarchs throughout centuries. These promises that Jacob said, I want this promise 
more than I want the material possessions of my father Isaac. I want the blessing. I want the heritage of the Messiah. I want this promise. This is the promise that Jacob deceived his brother for, that he deceived his father for. This is what, that he ran away with nothing, that he might just have this promise, the blessing of God. This is the promise that Jacob looked forward to. This is an enduring promise, endured through centuries, sustained the patriarchs, sustained the people of Israel, sustained the prophets. This is the promise, the resurrection of the dead that they held onto and lived by. Their enduring promises, their life-sustaining promises. These promises were powerful because they were given by God who is able to do the impossible. These promises are by the God who raises the dead, who has no limitations. As Jesus said, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. These are the promises of God who will and will not fail to accomplish his will. And these promises were both public and private. These promises were public in that they were available to anyone who would believe in Jesus. Paul offered these promises, this promise of God to open the eyes of the blind, to to be turned from the power of darkness to light and the power of Satan to the power of God to receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance along with the saints. This promise, these promises Paul said are offered. He offered them to the council, to the notables in Caesarea. He offered them to Felix. He offered them to Festus. He offered them to Herod and to Bernice and to all who heard him that day in the auditorium. But they're also private promises because Paul had heard personally from the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and then also in his cell as he was imprisoned in Jerusalem. So Paul had greater aims, better promises, but he also had a greater power because Paul proclaims a transforming power in his testimony before Herod. This is the power that Paul believed in, that Paul knew. He knew in his own life that God could raise the dead because of the way he had absolutely changed Paul. Paul said, these men, if they would be honest, they know what I was. They know my testimony. I was a figure to be reckoned with in Jerusalem. I was a Pharisee and the son of Pharisees. And an inherent of the law. He shut up in prison the saints. He had authority from the chief priest to persecute and arrest. He cast his vote to put Christians to death. He punished believers in every synagogue. He compelled believers to blaspheme. He was exceedingly enraged. He's like, You guys obsessed for two years? I was exceedingly enraged. And he said he even persecuted beyond the borders of Jerusalem. In other words, he's saying to Herod, I know those guys who keep coming against me, who want my death to seem bad, but they're nothing compared to what I was. And it all changed when he met the risen Messiah. You see, nothing 
but a God who was risen from the dead could change somebody like Paul. A dead religious figure could not transform a blasphemer. An icon, a myth, could not change a persecutor into an evangelist. Nothing less than a resurrected God. Nothing less than the power of a God who raises the dead could transform a man like Paul. Jesus is alive and risen from the dead. It was this proclamation that caused Paul to aim higher, expect greater things, pursue eternal realities, and kept him from obsessing about the injustices of his trial. Christian, let's make our prayer today that we would aim higher, expect greater things, and pursue eternal realities. Remember, with God, there are no impossibilities. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is A Greater Expectation. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 25 and 26 with part three of her message, A Greater Expectation. program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.